Welcome to the Healing Embodied Podcast, where we have real and raw conversations about growth and healing that will shift your perspective in profound ways. We take a unique approach to healing the overthinking mind, creating conscious relationships, and living a life of courage and freedom. So take a deep breath and get ready to expand your mind, connect to your body, and activate your spirit. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Healing Embodied Podcast. Once again, for anyone who is a longtime listener, you will recognize that I am not Chelsea. This is Sarah. I am the lead body-mind integration expert at Healing Embodied, and I am incredibly excited to be back here today to interview another one of my wonderful, incredible clients that I've had the honor to work with, um, Nial. So I'm going to pass it over to Nial. Do you want to just introduce yourself and maybe tell us where you're from? Yes, of course. First of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm very honored to be here as well. And like, even before you invited me, then I was, uh, I've been thinking that oh, if you were going to have if you were going to do interviews on the Healing Embodied podcast, then I was like, oh, I would definitely want to take part in that. So, yeah, and yeah, so my name is Njol, and I'm from uh, Norway. So right now I'm in Taiwan, so we're doing a long-distance interview. So excited for this interview, partially because, I mean, our work has just been very, very meaningful for me, and also because... I'm very excited to be bringing a male perspective onto this podcast, too. Um, We have no shortage of female testimonies and female clients, but we work with men, too. And I'm very excited that you are open to sharing your experience with everyone. So how about let's start with what were you experiencing before healing embodied before you came into our world what was going on for you okay so i guess yeah when it comes to relationship anxiety then the experience with that started around 10 years ago so that was in my very first relationship that uh, that i ever had when i was 20 years old which was a very toxic and unhealthy relationship since then Every single time I try to date someone, try to make uh, any kind of a connection that went beyond a platonic one, I would be overwhelmed with these feelings. That at that point, I had no clue what it was. Like, I didn't know that this was uh, anxiety or like relationship anxiety. So I had no understanding of what was going on. Like, I remember my very first time of encountering this and. Uh, this was maybe half a year after that very first relationship had ended. There was a girl who asked me out for a coffee and she was really sweet. There was nothing <laughs> like no red flags about her, but like, I became completely numb and almost felt like dr- I was drowning in this state of fear just from that one question. Cause I guess my body was, it's reasoning was that, okay, if uh, like a, a coffee date will lead to dating, which leads to, relationships which is a toxic and uncomfortable harmful thing of course I wasn't thinking that intellectually but like I just completely shut down in the second she asked me um so later during the course of my 20s then 
it did get better. Like I was later able to go on coffee dates without uh, any problem. But no matter who I dated at one point or another during the um, dating process, then I would shut down eventually. Uh, So this point of shutting down always came like slightly later and later. Like um, the very last dating experience I had before getting in touch with you guys at Healing Embodied was like one and a half months into dating this girl that I was together with then. And then it wasn't a sudden thing that just like I completely shut down, but it was a thing that started as like a small little disturbance almost. And then it just got more and more numb until I felt like I had no no other way out of it than yeah, ending that dating situation. You said shutting down a couple of times. So as soon as any kind of relationship or what your mind detected as something that could lead to a relationship eventually came into the picture. It was just this like shut down. And how, how did you find healing embodied? What brought you to us into this work, into the the healing embodied world? And that was actually after, after having broken up with this, this girl I mentioned at the end now. She she was the one who found Healing Embodied for me, actually. Because <laughs> uh, I, I guess we were both uh, feeling very hurt by the whole situation. Like, even I, I, was, I felt really extremely sad about it as well. But yeah, so, so in, I guess in desperation and trying to like, fix things, she was like, okay, she went on Instagram. And then sometimes that is a good thing, actually. <laughs> in this case, it was. I don't know exactly what she searched for but she found you guys and then she sent me a link to uh, one of your videos it was like a one hour long video mostly just talking generally about relationship anxiety it was uh, Chelsea talking in that video and it was like about how the, the brain how the body works in relation to things that it, they find threatening so I, I found it really interesting and like you know, I hadn't seen anything about relationship anxiety before, so that was a new thing to me as well. I clearly remember that there was one very specific sentence, a specific phrase that made me re- that really made me understand that uh, this is something for me. <laughs> and that was when Chelsea mentioned the social engagement system, that when you're in a state of fear or anxiety, uh, whether it's fight, flight, or freeze mode, there is no possible way that you can connect with another person. I remember there was this, I think it was in Anxiety Rx, uh, the book by Dr. Russell Kennedy. Then he mentioned how like, if you uh, are going to the lift to go down to the ground floor of the building you're living in, and then you meet a neighbor, then if nothing is going on in your life, then, like that, that is a very extreme nature, then you'll probably have a nice chat with your neighbor, uh, if you know them already, especially. But if you, before you go going to the lift, if you get a call, hearing that your child has been in a car accident and you get into the lift, of course, you're not going to care whatsoever about connecting with whoever would be in the lift because your body would be in this extreme state of urgency and alarm. Yeah, so so I guess yeah, going back to, <laughs> to this video that I watched where Chelsea was talking about the social engagement system, then 
that really like spoke to me and I could relate so well to that because I in every single dating situation that I'd been in before working with you guys at Healing Embodied then uh, like I, I just couldn't connect with <laughs> at one point or another when the fear hit me then I just couldn't connect with with the person I was dating. So so that was the 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 big thing that like yes, finally someone understands me. Yeah, I'm glad you're mentioning the social engagement system because that's it's such a big thing that we talk about and work on. And you mentioned like you feel you would feel this freeze, this shutdown, this inability to connect with someone, and that would give you a really profound feeling of sadness. And that is really common because we're often aware of, I want to connect, but I can't connect. And then what we do is we shame and judge ourselves for not being able to connect. And we say, if I could just work harder at connecting, then then everything would be better and it would go away and I would feel connected. So we work harder and harder and harder to connect, but we're, we're trying to do something that we physiologically don't have access to in the moment. I mean, the social engagement system is turned off when you are in a, a fear state, when you have a dysregulated nervous system. So we're trying, we're like holding ourselves accountable for doing something that we cannot do in that moment. And the first step has to be healing and regulating the nervous system. And that is actually what gives us access to connect. I can't tell you how many people come in to this work and are just like, I don't know why I can't connect. And it's because they're in this intense fear state. Yeah. So I love that 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 spoke to you. And then walk me through like what happened next so you found healing embodied was it like an instant this is what i need i'm gonna do it you started with the the safety within the self-study course was that were did you have hesitations before diving in was there any resistance there talk me through kind of what that looked like for you yeah so uh after watching that video and especially hearing the thing about the social engagement system then I was like oh finally I found something that works for me because yeah and then also like I can also mention that before working with healing and body then I, I had gone to like talk therapy which is like the sort of go-to thing to do I suppose that didn't help at all I, I tried meditation that also had didn't even scratch the surface of uh, of anxiety uh, I tried Tai Chi and many other things uh, so none of those worked so I guess part of the reason for why I, then I for why I also chose healing and body was because like I need to try something different because <laughs> these other things haven't worked and I didn't have that many <laughs> hesitations when it came to working with healing and body because I was just so done with all these dating situations to going down the drain i had yeah i had like i said i had tried other things but they didn't work so i just wanted to um really get to the root of this once and for all i guess one thing i was a bit hesitant about was that it, it was online because i always prefer face-to-face uh, -face connections but um i still thought that yeah, it was absolutely worth worth the try yes yeah, so i did yeah like you also mentioned i, I started with the safety within course yeah like it, it was good uh, introduction i think but then another turning point here was that i talked to my mom and she was like she was really happy that i was taking taking steps to work on this relationship anxiety because she had seen how it had uh, how i suffered because of it uh during 
all of my 20s and then I said yeah so I'm doing this self-study course and it's really good <laughs> and, like, and then she said mm, mm, I don't know I, I think you need like something more than that uh, and it was because she said that uh, then I thought yeah also motivated by how incredibly sad I was feeling because of that previous dating situation having broken down and just wanting to really work through this whole thing then I yeah, started with the one-on-one sessions with uh, with you Sarah yeah awesome the yes for our listeners, the Safety Within course is one of our self-guided courses that we have that's very, very focused on the nervous system and nervous system regulation, anxiety management. Um, it gives you tons and tons of body-based tools, that kind of foundational support that Neil is talking about here. And then for you specifically, you were you were wanting more than that. Um, and your mom was wanting that for you, which I love. <laughs> I don't know if I knew that part of the story, Um, but you were wanting a little bit more than that. You were wanting to dive into the like processing. Let's dig in. Let's process some of the grief and, and get into this a little bit more versus just stay with the foundational tools. And that's kind of why you decided to dive into the one-on-one package. I want to talk about like what happened during that time. And, and, um, and I also want to hear about any resistance that came up during the process? It sounds like you didn't have a ton of hesitations other than the virtual thing coming into it, but what? let's actually just start with the resistance. I like to start there. What kind of resistance did you notice or barriers or challenges during our work together? Oh, I like that question. Well, first of all, when I, when I think it's kind of funny looking back at it now, because like when I, or I guess before I started the Healing Embodied, like it was kind of like looking through the keyhole of a door. So like on the other side of that door was what I trusted would help me managing my anxiety and fear. And the only thing I could see through that keyhole was sort of anxiety relief. <laughs> that was the only thing I was going for. Like, kind of like if you're going to the grocery store, you're only getting milk and nothing else. So that was my approach. Like, yeah, I don't need anything else. I just need to just need to feel better <laughs> and not to be overwhelmed by anxiety. That was the only thing I needed. So when I opened the door, then I didn't realize that, that there was a bit more than that on the other side. <laughs> so I guess especially when we started working through stuff, uh, I did notice a lot of resistance to... I remember, yeah, you 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 started maybe in one of the first sessions. You started started talking about things that's happened before this first relationship that I had been in, and in that session, then I was kind of like, I don't think I said it to you then. I think I told you in the next session, but like when you start talking about things that's like from my childhood, from my teenage years, then like that's not what I wanted to get at. Like that, that's ir- irrelevant. <laughs> This isn't what I was looking at through the keyhole. This isn't what I needed to fix. <laughs> uh, I, I didn't notice resistance to that in the begin- beginning, definitely. Because um, I just wanted to fix the relationship anxiety and then that, that was it. But um, then I realized how it, that's just the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> 
and that um, that it's usually connected to some kind of emotional wounding from earlier in life. And yeah, another thing I remember from Dr. Russell Kennedy's book, Anxiety Rx, was that he, he said certain things that could cause such emotional wounding could be any kind of overload that had happened to the uh, nervous system, like especially if, uh, in the first 24 hours after you are born, if something happens to you then, that is, that feels like an emotion overload, that can deep marks. <laughs> and then I remembered, hey, oh, actually my mom said that I was put in a, like in the first night of my life, then uh, I was put in a room by myself because I was too cold, I think. And she could hear me from the room she was in crying the whole night. Of course, I don't remember that myself, like not intellectually, but then I thought things are starting to kind of make more sense. Not that like, of course, such an experience from such an early age like you it's impossible to measure exactly what kind of an effect it has on my life now but i was thinking that i've had a safe childhood you know, like i i was never sexually or physically abused or anything that you usually would associate with trauma that was also part of the reason for why i felt resistance when you started talking about my earlier life like how is that irrelevant how is that relevant in any kind of way but yeah then, then it made more sense that like it doesn't have to be this kind of the classic kind of trauma that, that, that other things can cause emotional overload yeah i'm so glad you're bringing that up also listeners in case you can't tell we are big fans of dr russell kennedy over here <laughs> so get his book dr uh no anxiety rx great book fantastic strong recommendation he's phenomenal yes his definition of trauma is one of my favorites that i've ever heard um which is just a trauma is just anything that overwhelms your nervous system and i i really value that definition because i think we hear the word trauma and it's a big word it's a loaded word we think of the things you're talking about we think of the abuse we think of neglect we think of all of these different things that some of us have been very lucky enough not to experience. I mean, I think about my story versus Chelsea's story. She, she her parents got divorced. She had extreme religious trauma. There's a lot of stuff going on. I didn't have any of that. My parents have been married happily for 41 years, at least as far as I know, didn't experience any of the like big, big traumas that you think of. And I guarantee that my little nervous system was overwhelmed at least some point in my life. So I really value that definition of trauma. And you're speaking to something that I see a lot with clients, which is the resistance of, of going back further into the childhood, particularly for those of us who haven't had a lot of big, scary childhood traumas. There's a lot of resistance to even considering that that your childhood could be influencing you right now. And what I say is we don't we don't look at childhood stuff because there was necessarily a trauma. We look at it because those were your first experiences of relationships. Um, your relational blueprint is formed when you're a kid, those early experiences of relationships that you have with parents, with caretakers, with siblings, with, with teachers, with other family members, anyone who's in your life at a young age, that forms the blueprint, the lens that you see and experience future relationships through. And that's why we look at it to see, you know, what was going on back then? What is this blueprint? Let's look at it. And I think there can be a lot of resistance to that. 
because it can be scary or because it seems irrelevant or because we are afraid that I'm just going to be another therapist who blames your mom for everything, like all the all the Freudian psychologists do, you know, <laughs> all of that stuff. Yeah. You also said something um, when you were talking about looking through the the keyhole and that you kind of came into this work with the, I just don't want to feel anxious. And that's super common. And if that is your goal, that's phenomenal. Your goal can be to just not feel anxious. However, there's this whole other side of the equation, which is what do you want to feel? I know what you don't want to feel. You don't want to feel anxious. You don't want to feel shame. You don't want to feel shut down. You don't want to feel disconnected, but what do you want to feel? And that's often where a lot of people I work with freeze up and they don't know how to answer it. They don't really know what they want to feel because they don't know what could be possible for them to feel. Yeah. So I love that you're bringing that up, kind of that shift there between, I just don't want to feel anxious into, Ooh, maybe there's a little bit more. Maybe I can look at what else could be possible in my life. Any other resistances that came up throughout this work that you want to speak to? Yeah, another kind of resistance that I still feel sometimes, not so much about expectations, but more about building new patterns when my body is in, in an anxious state than the kind of track that uh, both my mind and body used to go in was that I want to feel better. I want to escape from these uncomfortable feelings. That was the usual like track to go down. So like... Yeah, um, it would become like if you're skiing or walking through snow, then of course it's easier to go in someone else's tracks um, than creating your own new path. So then like after starting the healing embodied work, then of course I learned that you need to make a new path that you like most of all that, that you should get better at feeling. That's, that's like the thing that I've learned here. It's not about <laughs> feeling better. It's about getting better at feeling. I feel like that's the best advice I've ever gotten. <laughs> so yeah, when I, both earlier in, like when I started the healing and body work and also still now I, I experience a bit of this resistance that like when any kind of anxious reaction pops up, my mind and body, like at first it wants to go like, oh, no, let's escape these unpleasant feelings and go down that already trodden track in the snow. But then I need to be like, no, <laughs> and um, lead myself down the path of connecting to what I'm feeling, uh, since that is what will actually make you feel better, since, as opposed to trying to feel better, even though like that didn't make sense to me before I started doing this work. <laughs> yeah, that's the great paradox of anxiety and healing. The quote you're referring to is from um, Till Swan. She's a spiritual coach, leader, guide. Um, and she says, healing is not about feeling better. It's about getting better at feeling. Um, and it's, it's something that we come back to time and time again in this work. And I know it was a really big thing for, for you and I in this work, particularly. And what, what that means in relation to the healing journey and the embodiment work that we do is that often when we feel an unpleasant emotion, it's exactly what you're saying, y'all. Like, we have these protective mechanisms come up of trying to avoid the feeling, judging ourselves for feeling it, shaming ourselves, trying to get rid of it, trying to blame other people, blame ourselves. We have these really rocky protective mechanisms that are coming up because we have an unpleasant experience or feeling. Anxiety detects, this is unpleasant. That must mean something is wrong. I need to fix this. And then 
lo and behold, protective mechanisms come up. And so the longer that we do that, the longer that we just keep trying to feel better, avoid the unpleasant feelings, don't feel the uncomfortable feelings, just feel better, just feel better, just feel better. The thing is that the protective mechanisms just keep coming up. And what happens is we actually end up feeling worse because the longer that we resist a feeling, the more it's going to persist, the more it's just going to keep coming back with a vengeance. So when we actually shift the focus to let me get better at feeling whatever I'm feeling without the protective mechanisms of the mind coming in and, and sabotaging this, let me just get better at feeling whatever I'm feeling then we end up feeling better because we're not getting hijacked by these unhelpful protective mechanisms over and over and over. We're able to actually just feel whatever we're feeling, sadness, grief, anger, boredom, happiness, joy, whatever it is, we can feel what we're feeling and just let it move through us. Let ourselves process it, integrate it, metabolize it, and move forward with our lives. Yeah, you're speaking to the resistance to around repetition with these, with the new pathway. I love that metaphor of, of course, it's easier to walk in someone else's tracks in the snow or in um, tall grass or something like that. And you can just keep walking that path over and over and over. And it's going to feel more and more and more familiar to walk it, but it's not necessarily the path that feels good to you, the path that leads where you want to go. So you start to create this new pathway. And what often happens is you trudge through the snow, you make your pathway, you get there, you're like, yes, I made it. I don't ever want to do that again. <laughs> and then I say, okay, great, go do it again a hundred more times until it starts to feel normal, until it starts to become the new default path. And that is often where resistance can come in because we do something and it's hard and we don't want to do it again. Or we, we feel that if I have to do it again, that must mean I'm doing it wrong or I'm not doing it good enough or something, but we have to keep walking that path over and over until that becomes the new default pattern. Yeah. Like even, even though I've been, even though it's one and a half years ago since we, we had started the one-on-one -on -one sessions and uh, I've been working on all of these techniques and new mindsets and uh, new pathways as well, quite consistently, then still it, it, I find it can be challenging. Yeah, that's why I also wanted to bring this up in the, when talking about that. Yeah, it's hard. Making new default patterns is hard. I mean, you've essentially been practicing or rehearsing the old patterns for years. You said this, the relationship anxiety started like 10 years ago for you. So you've been essentially practicing the anxious patterns for 10 years. Now you've been practicing the other patterns for a year and a half. Also, I can't believe it's been a year and a half since we started working together. That's craziness to me craziness you said that and I was like there's no way but you're exactly right but that's wild so it takes time to to pave these new default patterns um, because we've been practicing the other ones for a long long time so talk to me a little bit about how the body work using the body in this because that's I mean you know that's that's our thing here right we use the body and everything how has that been beneficial for you i think yeah the first thing especially since you 
mentioned the body, then uh, it's turned my, I was about to say worldview upside down, but yeah, it's turned the way I view a lot of things upside down, at least, at least before I encountered dance movement therapy and healing and body, then in our society, there is such a focus on your mind and your thoughts. And I was also, there was a time when I was really into Buddhism and uh, just very curious about learning about concept uh, they have in their religion or their philosophy uh, and also doing meditation. And then like a lot of the that work revolves revolved around being conscious of the thoughts that pop into your mind and letting them go. But it never mentioned anything about the body. <laughs> that was a big new thing for me and like realizing that oh there's a completely different uh source that you're going to or like uh yeah the, the root of the um, of the anxiety is something lies somewhere completely different than than where i imagined it would be not just in my work with getting to know and managing anxious reactions but also in life in general I, it's had such a massive impact one thing i also realized after doing more like body work uh, being more aware of what emotions are in the body uh, rather than just focusing on my thoughts was also that yeah, before I, I started doing that work then I thought oh, it's so weird because I'm not an anxious person like it's only in romantic relationships that anxiety appears but then uh, yeah after doing this body work then I could see that hey actually in other areas of my life there is also forms of anxiety that pop up if there would be some kind of situation that I would perceive as stressful. For me, it would often be if uh, there were expectations from or differing expectations from different people and then feeling like I had to satisfy different people at the same time, that would like I would feel much lighter kind of anxious reaction than what I would feel in a relationship. But still, there was an anxious, anxious reaction. And before I started doing the body work or getting to to know my the emotions in the body, then like I knew that uh, every now and then I, I would feel a bit like uncomfortable. But that was the only thing I I knew. But like I never saw it as anything more than that. And when I discovered that, oh, like in other areas of my life there is also like anxiety symptoms. Then in one way it was relieving in one way because then it all made sense. Um, the whole thing. About but going back to things that happened before that first relationship, that it's uh, anxiety appears or like manifests in different areas of your life. Like for me, it was a lot stronger in romantic relationships, but it was not exclusively in those that, that it would appear. And uh, I guess the reason for why I thought that I only had anxiety or uh, relationship anxiety was also because that was the only area in my life that it felt where it felt debilitating and limiting because I could not form long-term romantic connections to anyone. So, so in a way, it's been like it's been such a relief to yeah both realize that oh it's uh, like there is anxiety in other areas of my life and also that now I can, every time it pops up like even if I'm not dating anyone that it's a, an opportunity for practice and understanding with myself and the anxiety better. Mm, I love that. There are two, two kind of things you're saying that I definitely want to zoom in on. The first is um, kind of the switch from just focusing on the thoughts. It, even if you were doing work like exploring Buddhism or exploring meditation, that 
encourage you to release the thoughts, not, not figure them out, not go into them, not think about them, just notice them and let them kind of fade away and float by. There was still this whole body aspect that was missing and something we explore a lot and talk a lot about is how our thoughts are, they're just the manifestation of the alarm, the anxiety in your body. Your thoughts are a reflection of your nervous system state. If your nervous system is dysregulated, if you're in a state of fight, flight, or freeze, your thoughts are going to be reflective of that. And we can work to just detach from the thoughts and let them float by and get to a place that you don't feel like your thoughts are running your life anymore. You're still going to have a dysregulated nervous system though. And at some point, the thoughts are going to circle back into dysregulated thoughts. So I love that switch of noticing, hey, what's what's actually going on here? Like, what is the source of the anxiety? It's it, You were starting to notice, like, it's actually not my thoughts. So what what is it? The body, it sounds like zooming in on the body has really helped with that. And then this other piece of gaining awareness of where anxiety shows up in other areas of your life and how it shows up, that to me really speaks to, this is life work. Yes, you are you're coming here to work on relationship anxiety often. I mean, that's usually the thing that brings people to us because it's what we talk about the most on our platforms. And this is life work. This expands and, and filters into all aspects of your life. And yeah, sometimes it will be just like you're describing. You'll start to notice the different places in your life where it's like, whoa, I've actually been functioning from a place of fear there too. And I had no idea. I would never have named that as fear, but like, look at that. There's the anxiety, right? You start to really see the patterns. You get much better at noticing the patterns and noticing what they are. I also talk a lot about like, what are all of the different elements that are creating an environment that is allowing anxiety to thrive? Like if you think of a plant growing in an environment, what are all of the things that are allowing that plant to grow? There's things like the soil, the sun, the water, the temperature, the time of year, all of these different things are working together to allow this plant to grow. So what are all of the things working together that's allowing the anxiety to thrive? And some of those we're not even aware of things like black and white thinking, things like, um, yeah, rigid thought patterns, things like people pleasing. You mentioned some like people pleasing tendencies in there, things like being disconnected from your needs or difficulty with boundaries. You might not name those as a function of anxiety, but they might be working together with other aspects of your life to create an environment where anxiety can thrive. I really like what you said about comparison to a plant because, uh, yeah, and I, again, I like when talking about that keyhole, then I could only see like one tiny part of, of that plant, but not everything else around it. So it kind of goes back to that. I, I guess I also wanted to add that, like, of course, Buddhist philosophy or meditation isn't like a bad thing in any way. Like, for example, with meditation, the, like you have tons of different kinds of it, of course. 
but the the one that I engaged with did not. That one didn't help for me, at least. Of course, it's always different for different people as well. By no means something one one should refrain from doing or avoid, of course. But I find that like the the body work adds a lot more to that you know, and offers a completely different perspective as well. Absolutely, yeah. There's no right or wrong way to heal, right? It's what works for you and for each individual person. Another plug for not just walking in someone else's pathway in the snow, right? Walking, walk your own pathway. Look to others for guidance when you need support, but yeah, don't be afraid to pave your own path for sure. And I like that phrase too, you said of the body work can add to the stuff you're already doing or have already done, you know, just from what I've seen and from what I've experienced personally, just bringing the body and embodiment in general into your life. You said like it, it kind of changed how you viewed things. It kind of shifted your worldview. So you probably experience all of these other things. You probably experience meditation very differently after starting to involve the body. You probably experience maybe other philosophies or techniques very differently after bringing the body into it. It can body work is for everyone. It's for everyone. And it doesn't mean that you have to not do other things. You don't have to give up the other things. Just bring the body into it. You're already in your body's already with you. So you might as well pay attention to it. Right. Uh, one thing I also noticed that I hadn't expected from healing and body work. That was a good bonus thing. <laughs> was that I guess I, I were, I've been quite open about about me doing this work with, with many people, with, with people that I trusted opening up to. It's made conversations around intimate and personal experiences. Like it's made them completely different. Like people have, like I, I have opened up more to people and people have also opened up more to me. So that's been really meaningful. That's really beautiful. I love that hearing how it's impacted other relationships in your life, not just romantic, right? Just general other relationships that you have. That's beautiful. So what that kind of leads into this next question too, like what are some of the, what would you call some of the most impactful things that you have learned or experienced in our work together? For me, the biggest thing still, it's not about trying to feel better, but getting better at feeling. And me just saying that now I can feel that I need to like really work hard to create this, uh, go down this new pathway. It, it, it's still something I'm like getting used to, but that's been a huge thing for me. Also, just generally learning about how how anxiety works, uh, understanding it, because that's also shifted my perspective completely when anxious symptoms pop up, whether it would be anything like something that's like pressing against my head or that I'm choking or that my chest is almost like freezing up. I view it in a completely different way earlier. Uh, like for example, with the girl who asked me asked for that coffee, I had no clue what was going on when these emotions and sensations overwhelmed me. I, I didn't understand it at all and just felt like I was drowning. But now when I feel these anxious uh, symptoms, these anxiety symptoms, then I, I know like, ah, oh, like even though it might be uncomfortable, then I know why they are popping up. Like, okay, so now the alarm in my body is perceiving a threat, kind of like a smoke detector that is hypersensitive. Even if you're just thinking about boiling a bit of water and and the steam that could be emitted from the, the kettle, then this, the smoke alarm will go 
<laughs> so like it's over sensitive, sensitive smoke alarms. So, the, so then when these feelings or emotions pop up, then I know that uh, I don't need to believe them in the same way that I used to do. Like I, I know why they are there. They are there like in order to protect me, but it's not something that I need to believe. And the same thing with like intrusive thoughts that often come along with these emotions. That's another thing. To, I, I can see them for what they are. And I feel like that's a huge step towards being able to manage uncomfortable situations with the body and the mind in a much better way. Yeah, just the the profoundness of just greater understanding of what is actually happening when you feel anxious, because the mind, what often happens is we feel anxiety or alarm in our bodies and the mind jumps in and does what it does, which is try to make sense of our internal experience. It just detects what's going on in our body and our nervous system and it tries to make sense of it through thoughts. And if we are, you know, if you experience fear because a hungry tiger is lunging at you, your mind is not going to have to work very hard to make sense of that. It makes perfect sense. If you are standing in your kitchen and a girl says, hey, want to go get a coffee? And your body goes into fight, flight, or freeze. It There isn't a present moment threat. There isn't a hungry tiger lunging at you. So your mind has to try and make sense of what your body is experiencing. So it starts firing off all of these intrusive thoughts just to try and make sense of it. It's that smoke alarm that's detecting a little bit of boiling water, but it's responding the same way as if the entire house were burning down, right? And what do we do? We don't, we don't throw out the smoke alarm. We turn it off and we assess what's actually happening right now. Is there a threat? Is the house burning down? No, it's not. This pot of water is just boiling. Okay. And we we work with what's actually happening in the present moment. That sounds like it was a big thing for you is, is starting to understand what's actually happening here and create some separation from that versus what your mind was telling you was happening. Your mind is telling you, danger, danger, run, get out of here. Something horrible is going to happen. When in reality, there, there was no hungry tiger. The house was not burning down. So it was really, how do I, how do I start to discern what's actually happening right now? Is there a present moment threat and respond to what's actually happening and not just what the mind is telling you is happening. Yeah. About this whole thing with the um, body and the mind, how they work together. Another thing that has been quite big for me in this work has also been yeah learning about the feedback loop between the mind and the body and how like whether the anxious thought or feeling arises in the mind or in the body. Let's say it first pops up in the body, then that will send signals to the brain saying that oh, this is a dangerous situation, even if it's just a girl asking out for a coffee. And then that will feed back to the body that like with thoughts saying that, oh, this is a dangerous situation. This is going to be lead to um, a harmful, hurtful relationship. And then it like fuels the, the emotions of the body and then it goes, they fuel each other. So learning about that and then also how to break that feedback loop. That's been also a big thing for me. Yeah, that's so powerful, the feedback loop and how to start to interrupt that. Even if, just like you said, even if it starts over, which it's going to, especially early on in this work, it's not like you break the feedback loop between the body and the mind and suddenly you never feel anxious again. It's going to happen again, 
But I think of it as like the hamster on the wheel. Like if you just let it keep going, it's just going to run and get faster and faster and faster and pick up speed and go, 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 and just endlessly run as fast as it can. And if you slow it down for a little bit, it's going to, okay, come back down. And then it's going to start again, but it's going to take a long time to get that fast. And you can slow it down and it's going to speed back up. And there's, there's just time for rest, for recuperation. You're giving yourself the opportunity to go down a different pathway and also to start thinking some new thoughts, right? If you shift your nervous system state, break the feedback loop, then the thoughts can start to come from this state of relative safety or peace or calm or connection. And your thoughts can start to sound a little bit less terrifying. They can start to sound a little bit more neutral or even, dare I say, pleasant. (laughs) Thoughts can actually be enjoyable sometimes. Anything else that sticks out to you of big impactful pieces of this work for you that you want to talk about? Yeah, one session that we had that was very impactful to me. I was dating a girl back then. I noticed how I felt very triggered by me thinking that she wasn't smart enough, that she wasn't intelligent enough. Uh, yeah, yeah, whether there was truth to it or not, I, I could see that my, or could feel, could sense that my body was blowing this way out of proportion. If she said, asked a question that I perceived as like, oh, that, that's common knowledge. Uh, why doesn't she know that? Then I could feel like my body going like, like and the smoke alarm just blaring out. And, and sure, maybe this is, or, or this one thing is something that most people know. But that doesn't mean that my body should go into, that it has to react in such an extreme way both my body and my mind yeah so that was sort of the the setting before the session we had uh just as a bit of background information so i remember we uh, we worked through this together then i i told you about this trigger then i believe we uh, we worked on like tuning into the body like just feeling where does this feeling lie and this time it was in my stomach i remember that i visualized these like almost like small i would say i would dare say ugly creatures and you asked me to ask them what do they need when I did that then it was the answer that came up was acceptance and then I realized oh what what I believe that whole trigger was about was me having too high expectations to myself because I was would be judging myself if I didn't um, live up to these expectations then I would kind of transfer that onto my dating partner at the time as well so realizing that the answer lay in my own body and not in like finding a new partner or that she should change or whatever that was extremely impactful and it felt that that felt like magic i thought because like after that session i noticed she she might she might still every now and then she she would ask questions like what does this mean or um i've never heard of this or that and i noticed noticed that oh, i would have been triggered by this before the session we had but not anymore i will never forget that session it was a very (laughs) profound session very profound i love this and a couple things first the fact that you had that experience of like this feels a little out of proportion like okay it's okay that i'm feeling what i'm feeling but something about 
the intensity of what I'm feeling doesn't quite match what's going on here. I think I need to look at this a little bit more. Just being in that place already shows the amount of growth that had happened leading up to that point. Because, I mean, we know what usually happens is we would have a thought like that, like my partner's not smart enough. And we follow the thought endlessly, right? We try to figure out, are they smart enough? Are they not? Maybe we desperately run and we leave the relationship. Maybe we beat ourselves up. Oh, I'm so terrible. Why would I ever think that about someone? I'm such a bitch, blah, 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 blah. We have all these all of these thoughts. So just the fact that you already had a little bit of separation in there of like, hmm, something isn't quite right here and turned inward. And that just speaks to the work that had led up to that point. And yes, I remember these tall, dark kind of lanky creatures in your belly and turning inward and asking them, what do you need? And the acceptance is so profound. And what, what this highlights, and I know this is what we explored in session two, is that when we are just really, really rejecting a part of our partner, or we're feeling really triggered by a part of our partner, it is almost always coming from inside of us. And that's, this. Is, I'm speaking specifically here to, um, I feel the need to get this disclaimer. I'm speaking specifically to generally healthy, loving, caring, supportive relationships. I'm not talking about relationships that have any form of abuse or disrespect or anything like that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about generally caring, loving, safe partners, but we still really latch on to like, yeah, their intelligence, their appearance, their job, the sound of their voice, their sense of humor, that sort of thing that we just feel like we really latch onto and are really, ooh, it's grinding our gears or we're, we're rejecting it or whatever it is, it is almost always coming from an energy of rejection inside of ourselves. I believe very, very firmly that intense judgment or rejection of another person often is coming from a flavor, an energy of judgment and rejection inside of yourself. And it's not a perfect one-to-one correlation. It doesn't mean if you hate your partner's nose that you hate your own nose. It doesn't mean that. It means that that's the energy inside of you that's allowing the judgment to thrive, that's allowing the the rejection, the disgust, the the unattraction, whatever it is to exist. Yeah, the body helped you really turn inward and look at what's what's actually going on here, what's missing. And it was actually needing acceptance for yourself. You needed the acceptance in there, not just, oh, I have to accept that she's smart enough or that she's not smart enough, but I need to give myself an energy of acceptance here. And then that cultivating it so much within allowed it to just flow out into the partnership naturally in relation to this whole thing then i I, one thing that has been really profound for me has been the answer lies within yourself (laughs) even when you're you're viewing someone else as the enemy because of the anxiety portrays them as that realizing that both the the obstacle and the answer lies within yourself that's uh, i i found that to be incredibly impactful as well absolutely and again we are we are referring to generally loving healthy safe relationships here if you are in an unsafe relationship then what 
what we're saying here is going to feel incredibly invalidating and gaslighting. So just know that we are we are speaking to generally healthy, safe relationships. I love that the the obstacle and the answer lie inside of you. And that's that's what this work is, is it's guiding you inward. And going inward is often a scary, confusing place. And that's why I'm here. That's why we're here. That's why we get support, right? That's what this work is, is, is going inward. There's one thing coming up that I wasn't even planning on asking, but it's it's just coming up for me a lot. I'm realizing the more we talk through our work together, how much like imagery and metaphor has shown up. And I know part of that is me because I literally see the whole world in metaphors, but, but you are a very, you have a very rich, like imagery, internal world. Imagery and metaphor has been a huge thing for us. And I don't think I have a very specific question to ask you, but I'm just curious if you have any reflections around that or anything you want to say around that. Yeah, I, I really like that question, and uh, it's very true. I think a lot of metaphors, <laughs> and uh, I, I do feel like during our sessions, in so many cases, we've uh, been maybe even more on the same page because we've worked with metaphors. Uh, even some, yeah, we've sometimes even used these like images. Uh, or, or this imagery, these metaphors for in the work. A lot of stuff has been going on in my life lately, and uh, and uh, a lot of this visual imagery has popped up. And I've maybe particularly because we've used that in our work, used this imagery, then I find it as like guidance and to both how I'm feeling and different solutions to whatever obstacles I'm facing. Another powerful tool in a way. Yeah, I love that. I love imagery and and metaphor. And to me, it just invites, it's creative. It invites creative process and creative energy. And that's part of also what is so impactful about the body, specifically for anxiety. I mean, the mind is either or black and white, this, that. It's very rigid. Like the mind is highly creative, but it sees things and the anxious mind sees things in either or, whereas the body and imagery and metaphor leaves so much more room for nuance and complexity. And yeah, I agree. I think it's part of what, um, that's kind of why I wanted to ask you, because to me, it's part of what has made us work very well together is that we both really enter into this very imagery-based metaphor world. It helps break us out of the anxious brain and the rigidity of the anxious brain and really enter into the world of creative process. How are you continuing to implement this work in your life today? Yeah, so many different areas of my life. Whenever I encounter dating situations, of course, I, there's a very obvious place where I would <laughs> implement this work. But then also, like I mentioned, in everyday life, in situations where I don't have anything to do with romantic relationships, then it can be a, a really powerful tool as well. And then also just like, uh, yeah, it's changed my view on so many things and how I relate to my own body, how I relate to other people, how I build relationships with other people. Also, yeah, for example, the last week now, I had a shorter dating situation that didn't go exactly like I had expected it left a lot of sadness and then tuning into that I find it served as such a good reminder that go into that those emotions in the body instead of trying to push them away because they're un unpleasant and uncomfortable 
going into them being with them and caring for them <laughs> just like if you cut yourself with a knife accidentally in the kitchen then of course you would treat that physical wound in the same way you can treat an emotional wounding as well but <laughs> when it comes to this question about how I'm implementing this in my life then I guess this is uh, <laughs> the biggest thing I hadn't expected about the healing and body work uh, again I only came for for the for treating the anxiety <laughs> but last year and this is actually also goes back to one of the most like impactful things I have learned through healing embodied as one exercise that I find incredibly powerful is just tuning into my body being present in my body and asking it what do you need what does the body need now and it might be to like if I have a lot of like energy stored up that needs to go out then I might need to uh, shake it off or run around a bit, but it could also be like on a different day or a different time of day, then I might just need to sit still, do nothing. I might just need to walk around very slowly. Um, it could be anything. Like So it's very tailored to the moment. Last summer, for several weeks, I was just feeling miserable and I couldn't understand why. Usually when I do this exercise, when I tune into my body and asking, you know, asking it what it needs, then it might take like 10 minutes of having to doing whatever I, I feel like needed to be done to make the body calm down or feel more in balance. This one day last summer, then I, I tuned into my body, like, what do you need now? I'm feeling so miserable. And then I start just shaking my hands, kind of like if you've washed your hands and trying to shake off the water. I just kept shaking them and shaking them and shaking them. I kept on doing that. And then I did other more like movements, body movements, and it just didn't stop. It, it, my body didn't say, oh, no, it's okay. Now you can rest. Like I just needed to keep on doing these movements. I think I must have been I was in the bathroom because I didn't want to be in the living room with my family when doing these things. Probably in there for an hour or two before I finally felt like, okay, now I feel like I've gotten out what I needed to get out two days after. Then I woke up and I felt like very, very in tune with my gut feeling in a completely different way than I usually am. In the following days, then I had these like, I call them gut feeling moments. And for some reason, several of them were triggered by listening to Michelle Obama's audiobook, uh, Becoming. So for example, she talked about when she met a guy with a weird name called Barack Obama. And she realized, oh, I actually like this guy more than just as just a colleague. And then I was working then listened to the audiobook and like, oh shit, I just realized I have these same kinds of feelings towards a very close friend of mine. Opened up about my feelings and it didn't lead to anything, but like I had done the right thing at least. <laughs> and then a few days later, <laughs> again, I was working, listening to this audiobook and whilst listening to it, I, I got this feeling in my chest that, oh, I don't want to study architecture more anymore, which was the degree that I was doing at the time. I've been studying it for two years and it like it had been lying under the surface for such a long time. But then it became so clear to me in that moment that like I, 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 I can't go on to, into the next year like that, that, that it just doesn't feel right. Having that realization that, that kind of pushed the snowball down a hill to use another metaphor. <laughs> It took so many other things with it. So like, hey, actually, the job I have, I don't like it. It's making me feel really miserable. The apartment I'm living in, 
I don't feel happy in it. So then I, it was carefully planned. It wasn't like I just like took everything in the same day and just like left it all. But like, I, so it was carefully planned, of course. So like I scheduled everything from the end of 2022. Then I would leave my flat. I left my job. Um, I'd already quit my degree. So I was just like, ripping out the things of my life that purging them almost that didn't feel meaningful and that didn't give me the kind of energy I want yeah realizing that how impactful the body work has been but like setting this whole thing up (laughs) making it happen as like I would never have imagined yeah that body movement work could lead to this and then yeah so so like the last year was all about like getting rid of all these things in my life that don't feel meaningful and now currently i'm traveling in in asia and it's like oh, a little breather and then i will rebuild my life again in a more meaningful way after this Whew, what a year it has been <laughs> What a year it has been. It's so fun to hear you. Like, I mean, I've been along this ride for you for a while. (laughs) Like, have seen quite a bit of this. Like, I've seen the building of the foundation. And I I was obviously wasn't there in the moment, but like you shared with me the the moments of like, this doesn't feel right anymore. I need to make a shift here. And we kind of navigated that together. And then like, you know, I'm seeing you now and we're kind of revisiting it. So I've been with you for a lot of it, but just to hear you kind of succinctly like sum up everything that led to it, created the foundation, the big shifts and kind of where it's at now. it's just, it's so cool for me to kind of like just sit back and like hear you tell all of it. I love it. I mean, a couple things sticking out to me. One, you said you will tune into the body frequently and just ask what does my body need and just trust and follow whatever it gives you in that moment, whether it's shaking for an hour, one deep breath, going for a walk, hanging out with a friend, whatever it is, just trusting what is revealed and being able to listen to that and hear that. Many, many, many people come into this work wanting the formula, like just tell me the formula when I don't feel good, tell me what to do so that I do feel good. There, I I say it all the time, like there is no formula, there is no formula. And it's, it's really more about doing all the work, everything you've described the past hour and a half here of getting to this point that you, you have such a loving, trusting relationship with your body and with your emotions that you can just tune inward and just say, Hmm, what do I need right now? And be able to discern what you need and honor that need and listen to that and feel worthy of that and just follow that path. That's so cool. It's so cool to hear you talk about that. I'm like geeking out over here. (laughs) Um, I wrote down shifted your relationship to your emotions, which I think really comes back to this gut feeling. You talked about these gut feelings and we know, and a lot of our listeners know that like, listen to your gut can be very ineffective advice for someone actively experiencing anxiety, right? Because of faulty neuroception and how we interpret safe things as unsafe and unsafe as safe and healthy as unhealthy. And so we have a very hard time discerning what's actually my gut, what's my intuition versus shame versus anxiety versus the voice of my mom or my teacher et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you've done a lot of work to heal that. And it's really beautiful to hear how that has led to this really powerful connection to 
your gut, to your intuition, to your authentic desires. That's, I wrote down desires too, like that you are really letting your life evolve from what do I genuinely desire versus what do I think my life should look like? What's going to make me the most money? What are other people telling me I should do? What have people expected me to do? What have I expected myself to do? And allowing these pivots to happen and allow, I mean, you're describing it as just like, oh, I didn't want to work there. So I quit Didn't want to do this. So I moved, but I know, I know there was so much more in it than that. Those shifts are, they're hard and they were big. They were involved. They were intense. There was a lot of stuff that went along with it. A lot of emotional navigation, but you were able to navigate it because it was coming from a place of trust in your own intuition and your own desires that you could just let it naturally unfold from there versus all of the shoulds and the, oh, what's happening? I don't know. What should I do this? I'm, I'm already halfway through this degree. I should have finished this and this is right. And just instead really trusting and woo, this is, this is shaky. This is new for me. This is kind of freaking me out. There's some new stuff here. Okay. Let me just lean into that. It's really beautiful to hear how, I mean, you came in for the get rid of my anxiety and you stayed for everything else, right? It's it's really beautiful to hear all of that. Oh, thank you very much, Sarah. But yeah, it's uh, it feels really meaningful to share it with you as well and to have shared this whole journey where me describing that, oh yeah, I quit my degree and my job and moved out to my the apartments I was living in and all that. And then just leaving Europe and everything. Like you also mentioned, like although it sounds like a simple and easy thing, then it wasn't just a pleasant journey all the time because it really felt like being a ship in a port. This port is familiar, therefore it feels, gives a feeling of safety but it didn't feel right to be there. So then, okay, it feels right to leave the port, but then, okay, I'm out in the open ocean. What the heck do I do now? And so I remember feeling quite terrified. Of course, I, I knew that I had done the right thing, leaving these things behind, but I remember feeling not just pleasant, but 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 still a very meaningful experience. And uh, and that was, again, the, the one of those metaphors that we work together with, like the, um, using that in the work with, with being out in the open ocean. So uh, that's one of the sessions that I remember particularly well as well. <laughs> Me too. That was one of our more recent ones. I loved it. And, you know, I love a good metaphor. And that, that feels like a really lovely place to bring this to a close. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again, Niall, truly for sharing your time, your space, your story with us is not something I take lightly. It's very precious. So I really appreciate you sharing. And for anyone listening, if Niall's story resonates with you, if the work we're talking about resonates with you, if you are interested in learning more about Healing Embodied, about what we do, about how you can work with us, check out the show notes. We will have everything linked there and you can always reach out if you have any questions at all and y'all thank you so much again thank you sarah and yeah again it's uh, it feels me really meaningful to me to, especially after this one and a half year journey so far uh to um get to share this um, both uh, this conversation with you but not the least on the podcast and hope we can provide meaningful insight to uh, people who might be listening 
We are so, so grateful to our clients who courageously share their stories. And if you are interested in working one-on-one with Sarah in the same way that y'all did, she has, I think, two spots open to work with her um, for three months, all the way up to six months. So all of the links and information to apply to work with her one-on-one are going to be in the show notes. You can also apply for a free 15-minute clarity call where you will meet one-on-one with a member of our team to learn how we can support you in your unique experience, in your unique journey, um, what services that we have that will be a best fit for you. So all of the links and details for that will be in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening.